This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Lovers, welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat, and I'm your host, Dr. Catherine Prim. I'm a small animal veterinarian, and I'm owned by a cat named Scamper. Today is a little bit interesting and different because I have with me Steve Dale of Steve Dale Pet World and all kinds of animal industry fame, but we're going to turn the tables a little bit today because Steve is going to represent cat owners everywhere and ask me all the questions that you guys out there have been dying to ask your veterinarian or have forgotten to ask your veterinarian. So we'll be right back with Steve Dale after these messages. Hi friends, this is Dr. Marty Becker, America's Veterinarian. After a traumatic experience at the veterinary office, have you ever thought to yourself, there has to be a better way? When your veterinarian is fear-free certified, you'll find your pet's vet visit is safer, more comfortable, and actually enjoyable. Your dog will go from shaking in the lobby to pulling you into the exam room with a wagging tail, and your cat will be purring inside the carrier. To find a certified fear-free veterinarian near you, go to fearfreepets.com. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. And as I said, I have with me Steve Dale. Welcome, Steve. Hey, how are you doing today? I am doing fabulous. I'm very excited about the turnabout that we're going to have on my show today where basically you're going to put me on the spot and ask me all the things that you think cat owners want to know. Yeah, you know what? I hear every single day because of the platforms I have. I hear from pet caretakers around the country, and I get questions every day. So after doing this for <laughs> now uh, more years than I generally do want to admit, I kind of know what's on the mind of pet owners very often, and it's wide-ranging. And I think the two topics that are the most emotional, in fact, I know, the two topics that are the most emotional, and sometimes there's the most misunderstandings surrounding are pet food, which has become a religion, and animal behavior. I'm not going to ask you, I don't want to get, because otherwise we'll spend an hour talking about pet food. 
So I'm not going to dive into that deep. But but my question for you is, do you sometimes get frustrated with well-meaning pet caretakers who clearly love their cats and they come in with printed material that they got off some website somewhere or sometimes many websites and it's reams of paper that they come in with backing up whatever they say about food and you just kind of shake your head and say, I wish there was some science behind all this. Well, yeah. Yes. Have you been in my exam room? I absolutely <laughs> agree. And I get a lot of questions on my Ask a Vet column about pet food. And, and there is just so much pet food out there. If you go to a big box store, the pet food pretty much goes from the floor to the ceiling. And the choices are huge. And a lot of celebrities have given their names to the pet foods. And it's very confusing. So I agree. It is sort of an emotional topic. And what I like to tell my pet owners is it is so important that the diet for cats be balanced. And it has to be based on science, just like what you said. So I recommend the pet foods that actually have a veterinary nutritionist to help formulate and even be available to pet owners to ask questions. So call the 1-800 number on your pet food and ask, hey, do you have a veterinary nutritionist on staff? And actually, there are many pet food companies that surprisingly don't. So, you know, and they're obviously going to be the smaller companies. But what's confusing now is big is bad to a lot of folks. So the bigger players, Purina, which has several brands, Mars, which has several brands, the Colgate Company, which owns Hills Pet Nutrition, those are the big three. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate, I'll throw in my opinion, that that it has come to that, that it is only three big players. I wish there were five. I wish there were 10. And they're giant players. But these giant players also have giant resources, which somehow, by some pet caretakers, is viewed as a bad thing, where that small company with a big heart is over there. They have no veterinary nutritionist on staff. They may not even work with a nutritionist. And surprisingly, there are, I've learned over the past couple of years, a fair number of companies where that's the case. So can you comment on what I just said and also add why it's important, in your opinion, that there be a veterinary nutritionist on staff? Well, I'm a veterinarian, so I may not be objective. However, veterinarians have so much training and veterinary nutritionists have even more training about what cats really need. Now, in the history of the cat as a pet, There have been some pretty big faux pas on the dietary and the nutrition front that left cats. Some cats were blinded by taurine deficiency. Some cats suffered from heart abnormalities associated with deficient diets. And cats are obligate carnivores, which means they must eat meat. There are components to their diet they cannot manufacture on their own that have to come from meat. So we don't really have the wiggle room that we might have with some other species. So it's too dangerous to play around with. One more thing that I'd like you to comment on that I mentioned, this perception in the pet food arena that big is somehow bad. So that these companies that I understand the downside. I mean, there's only three companies that are 80%. I'm making up that number, but approximately that, the, the majority for sure, of pet food brands. But on the other hand, it seems these companies do have lots of resources. 
Absolutely. I think that that is, now this is my opinion for whatever it's worth, but I think that that is some of the fallout from the big push of buy local and buy small and support local, which is a great initiative. But I think we forget that sometimes the resources, especially when it comes to science, research and development, the resources won't let us down. So I think maybe the answer just sort of lies in balance and talking to your own veterinarian about what they have seen and what they like and what they recommend. That's probably the perfect balance. So this has been in the news lately as I switch gears just a little bit. California has had several communities that have banned declaw, declawing cats. It is actually against the law in now the entire state of California. Or is it communities? It's several communities. I'm sorry, in California. What is against the law, and I can ask you about this in several, in the entire state, is no dogs or cats are allowed to be sold at pet stores. That's what just happened in California. But California has an increasing number of communities where declaw, declawing cats is against the law. And now Denver, Colorado has jumped on board and said, we're doing the same thing. And in my experience, I can look into my crystal ball. I can assure you that this movement will now move across the country. It may be large, it may be smaller. I don't know. But I do know that what happens in one community with legislation is likely to then happen in another community. It's kind of how it goes with legislators. They feel more comfortable if someone else has done it. Being the first is always more difficult. So there's this kind of movement against declaw. I'm curious as to how you feel about that. I know I'm putting you on the spot because, again, like pet food, this is a very, obviously for cat owners uh, specifically, it's a very emotional topic. I agree. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Thanks. I can count on you. Well, I have a very specific opinion. It's an opinion, just like everything, but I personally do not perform this procedure in my animal hospital, and that is in keeping with the fear-free policies and strategies that are my passion because I think that it is very difficult to offer a, an adequate pain coverage for a cat because this is sort of a brutal thing. I mean, you remove all of the last digit on all of the toes of the cat and nobody would want that done to them. So I just feel like there are other ways to address destructive scratching and products that help with that. And I do not do it. However, I posted something on my Facebook page. A lot of people follow and, and it is a very emotional issue. Most of the people, however, said, oh, I don't think we should do this to cats. I am aware of these other options that I was really encouraged encouraged by that. But there are still people out there that feel like if we do not declaw cats, cats are going to die because no one will adopt cats. So I guess that's the flip side, but I don't do it. Well, I want to talk about several things that you talked about. First of all, I don't want to take for granted that people know exactly what a declaw is. And I think we need to do a better job at explaining it and saying it is, let's call it what it is. And it's an amputation, is it not? And what's more, it's an elected amputation surgery that clients, should they ask you to do a declaw, are asking you to do. Well, it's 10 elective amputations. Well, right. Yeah, so yeah, that's even course. worse. Yes. yes. So you're right. People may not realize. They, I think that people have in the past thought it was kind of like a nail trim. But it absolutely is not, because if you do not adequately remove the entire last digit, 
the keratin will try to reform. The toenail will try to regrow, which is even worse because that's long-term suffering and additional surgeries. So if it's going to be done, it has to be done right. And to be done right, it requires amputation of the last digit. So if I took your hand and I removed the entire portion of your finger that has the fingernail on it from the knuckle to the end, that would be like declawing you. And the explanation for doing that historically in America, and this is unique in some ways to America. Declaw, I believe, actually began in this country. Then other countries began to do it. And some countries said, we're not going to do this. And then increasingly, some of the countries that began to do it, uh, what, 40, 50 years ago now, said along the way, well, we're stopping. We're not doing this anymore. And declaw is actually banned in many countries around the world. And it's for humane reasons. Having said that, the reason why it started in the first place is cats were increasingly being kept indoors. And in my view, that's a good thing. And there's lots of data to demonstrate that cats live longer that way. But cats being cats will scratch. They are hardwired to communicate using their claws to scratch. So if you can explain why cats scratch and that it is something, if you're a cat, you're going to be scratching and even without their claws, interestingly enough, cats do go through the motions. It is, and it it's kind of an opinion piece and maybe somewhat controversial, but cats have claws. They come with claws. That's a natural cat thing, and they're going to use them as part of their communicating with other cats. Like you said, they leave visual and scent messages on things. Plus, when we started keeping our cats indoors exclusively, and I agree with you, cats certainly live longer but we, we failed to meet their needs emotionally with enrichment. Because if you think about the big open outdoors and all the, the excitement and interesting things there are to do, and then we took a cat and we put them in an apartment with, you know, tan carpet and tan walls and, and no noises, the cat isn't happy. So I think that environment enrichment is so critical in helping to direct scratching in the right way. Do you think that we take cats for granted, if you will, the cats? So some number of years ago, dogs were the most popular pet. They were man's best friend. But around 25, 30 years ago, cats overtook dogs. And in fact, in America, by pure numbers, cats are man's best friend. There are more cats as pets than there are dogs. A part of the reason for that may be our lifestyles changed and began to change around the time that cats became more popular. More apartments, more condominiums more people with busier lives than ever before, and thinking, okay, cats don't need all the attention that dogs need. Do you think that in some cases, anyway, we've gone too far and not paid enough attention to our cat? I think it's possible. I think that we just started to see cats as, oh, this low-maintenance pet. We all love having a furry companion and a furry friend, and we didn't take into account that a cat is not just a small dog. They are very different. They have their own, very, very own distinct personalities and their own needs. And we sort of are catching up now with starting to get that idea and seeing life through a cat's eyes. And it, it's so exciting because I think it's a new day for cats. I agree. Uh, I want to talk about a bit of that new day. So most products that are out there, training products for, for dogs or cats or any other pet, prevent a behavior. That's the idea. They stop something from happening. There's a product out now that actually starts something to happen. It actually encourages cats to scratch where people want cats to scratch. 
And I personally am so excited about this product. It's called Feel a Scratch because I believe here, right here, if the cat is scratching in the right place in the first place, owners are less likely to even think about declawing their cat, or at least that's my hope. Can you explain a bit about what Feel a Scratch is and also comment on what I just said? Well, I can give you the science on it, and it is so cool. I'm, a, I'm such a science nerd. The Feel a Scratch product is based on the idea that cats produce a semiochemical, which is a little chemical message in between their toes, which is part of the reason they scratch of saying, you know, here's my little message and I'm marking my territory or what have you. And Feel a Scratch is a synthetic alternative or derivative of that chemical that can send the same messages. So, if you apply the product to an area that you want the cat to scratch, the cat is a lot more likely to be directed to that area. So we head off some negative things. We acknowledge and accept the fact that cats are going to scratch, but we just direct it to the places that we want. And then everybody lives happily ever after. So I'm suggesting this product is potentially a lifesaver, and here's why. Lots of cats that scratch in the wrong places. Declaw isn't the issue so much. They're just given up to a shelter just because of it. Or in some cases, just put outside. And those cats have no experience of being outside. So, And that happens because the human-animal bond has been fractured because people are just so upset and frustrated and they haven't gone to the right places for help. There are other things that people can do as well to assist with behavior modification. But I will tell you, I took our 15-year-old cat and she's 90% of the time scratched exactly where we want her to scratch. And she has lots of choices. So a part of an enriched environment that you spoke about is providing choices. And a part of making opportunities and encouraging cats to scratch where you want them to scratch is by giving cats choices of posts and providing those posts in real estate in the home that is appropriate. So one example is cats scratch when they get excited as well. And they get excited sometimes when we come home. So here is an example of miscommunication. We come home. We're excited to come home. Cat runs to the sofa that's near the front door and goes, scratch, 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 scratch. Then we yell at the cat. I dare you do that. And the cat's just expressing excitement that you're home. Huge miscommunication there. The human-animal bond suffers on both sides as a result of that. But if there were a scratching post at that place, all the better. So Roxy, our cat, 15-year-old cat, mostly scratches in all the right places. Every once in a while, you know, she'll do scratch scratch on the carpet or scratch scratch on the sofa, but it's rare. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try it with our older, very much older cat. Her senses aren't what they were when she was 15 months old, and I applied this blue dye. It comes in a pipette, uh, Fila Scratch does. It's a blue dye, so visually, the cats can first see, because when they scratch on something, there's a visual component of that, too. It's been altered in some way, whatever they're scratching on. So that's why the blue dye is there. There's catnip in it. And as you mentioned, there's the pheromone the cats deposit from their paws. So I was going to videotape this, and I did. So I have my phone at the ready. I've got this post, which is a heavy post, as posts should be. I've got it on its side because I've got to apply this. So in order to do that, so it doesn't trip on the floor, I just have to put it on its side. So I apply it. Roxy wasn't in the room when I began this. I didn't send Roxy a memo in advance that I was going to do this. Roxy, boom, is right there. 
I don't even have time to lift the post, cat. And Roxy's now scratching, scratching, sniffing, and rubbing against the post. So does this have an effect? My gosh. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, yeah, I was just amazed. I videotaped it. And you're welcome to use the video for any of your talks anytime. Excellent. But, I mean, Excellent. It, it was incredible to watch. And it's a process. You know, you do it several times a week, and then you do it once a week for a certain number of weeks. And overall, this was instantaneous. It was quite incredible. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, if we can multiply this effect times millions of cat homes across America, we'll have less of a need to declaw our cats. You mentioned enrichment, and that's something I very much feel passionately about. I believe our cats are brain dead and fat in America, and I give a talk called Brain Dead Fat Cat, which I'm sure you completely understand why I called it that. At least yeah. I'm guessing you do. So I'll ask you a question. Why did I call it that? What's going on with our cats? Well, our cats are kind of wired to be stalking their territory and, and hunting and doing all of these survivalistic things. And now all of a sudden we've plunked them in the middle of our living room and there's no predator and there's no prey and there's no sound and we all go to work and just leave and shut the door. And it's just like being in prison, I, I would say. Yeah. You know, cats, I don't know. Who, I'll ask you, who's smarter, cats or dogs? Um, there was a study out recently. And that's well, what you know, dogs uh, are. my dog knows lots of words and, and has lots of commands. And she's she's passed her classes because she's a canine good citizen and she's a therapy dog. And so some people would say that she is smarter because she can learn these things. But I don't know. My cat pretty much looks out for number one and makes really good choices for himself and i haven't put him in through you know through any classes or anything but he's certainly every bit as smart as she is if not smarter but don't tell her i said that so if cats are smarter or cats are nearly as smart or if it's about the same so for any of those answers my question is well then why aren't we doing things with our cats so we do all these things with our dogs we can do them outdoors we can do them in other places and while you can do that with a certain percent of cats most of them are inside our own homes and as we talked about that's safer for the cats but it doesn't explain why we don't interact with them in a very different way and have expectations that are greater, which I think cats would benefit by, including training cats to do things. I think so, too. And you can train cats. I answer questions about training cats, and you and I have even talked about training cats to do things, and they're not stupid. You just have to use a little bit of a different strategy because they're not little dogs, like we said. Right, and the, the motivating them may be a little different depending on the cat. I mean, you know, so you probably don't go to work if you're not paid. So some people say, oh, you're just, you're just paying them off with food. Well, I'm not sure that's a bad thing necessarily. I, I think that's a good thing, in fact. And what it does is it enhances the human-animal bond. And the other reason why I like the idea of training cats isn't only for the benefit of the cat, but it's for the benefit when children do this of kids as well, because there are so many things that the kids can do and they do with dogs. With cats, that list is shorter. And I think that if kids are training the cats and working with the cats in some way, their bond with the cat and the cat's bond with the children enhances. And I think that's a win-win. Well, you know, I feel 
I don't know, maybe some sort of sense of personal satisfaction or success when I get my cat to do something. It's almost like <laughs> he makes it, me work a little harder for it. I, I don't know. It gives me this look like, yeah, w- watch what I can make you do, mom. So I agree with you. I, I like teaching my cat to do something or things, and I feel very personally successful when I achieve that. But the way you put it is great. Look what I can make you do, mom. Cats are huge at training people. They're great human trainers, I think. I also think, as I kind of circle back to pet food, it's not only what we feed our cats, which is a discussion we can have at another time, but we talked about it a bit, but it's how we feed our cats. And I believe, and this certainly intertwines with enrichment, I personally think we're feeding our cats all wrong. Well, when I was in vet school, we were taught that the reason that cats were obese is because people were giving them free choice food. And of course, cats are like me when I'm off from work. I go to the refrigerator a whole lot more than when I'm busy. But that's not the entire story because I think cats do need small, frequent meals. It just may ought not be sitting in a bowl full to the brim where they just walk over there and get it. What about making it kind of hard, making them have to figure out a puzzle? climb a cat tree or find a hidden treat. I think you're right. I think we're feeding cats all wrong and it doesn't have to be hard. It can be fun. I agree with it. In fact, one of your colleagues created a product called the Indoor Hunting Feeder. And what this is, it's a little toy, but it's really a feeding device. There's five of them that come in the system all at once. They have a hole in it and the outside is kind of a rough texture. So cats, do like to maneuver things, and they do need to pounce. Again, hardwired to do all this stuff. It kind of looks like a mouse, and the idea is to best replicate that. And they maneuver these little objects, and food, if you're feeding kibble, food will tumble out of it. And the idea is over time to hide these in different places around the house so your cat, even indoors, hunts, in quotes, but kind of does, hunts for these. And I love the idea. That's Dr. Liz Bales, and it's called the Indoor Hunting Feeder. And that's exactly what it is. You know, it's an indoor hunting feeder. Now, whether you use this product, which you actually have to purchase, or if you fold, you, you, you ever use toilet paper? If you do, you could fold up the toilet tube roll on both ends and cut out sort of holes in the middle of it, so as long as your cat doesn't eat cardboard, you know, and it's a kitten tend to, but adult cats mostly won't. And the cat will roll it around to get, so that doesn't cost anything, you know. So no matter how you do this, I'm a huge, again, it's the indoor hunting feeder, and you can Google that and find it as well. But no matter how you do it, I'm a huge proponent of doing that rather than leaving out food all the time and the cats train us to fill the food and we become an automatic food filler dispenser. And I don't think that's beneficial for the cats. I also think it's mentally enriching for cats to search for food around the house. Oh, that makes me think of something, Steve. Someone asked me, why is my cat always hungry? When I walk by the cat bowl or when I stand up, my cat runs to the cat bowl. And so I want you to answer that question. Who has trained who? <laughs> so, or let me, grammatically, that might not be the right answer. It might be whom has trained whom. But either which way, it sounds like, so whenever the cat has learned, when I go, row, 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 or whatever the sound, I can't do a very good cat <laughs> awesome. today. 
But but when not so awesome, but when the cat does that, or when the cat jumps up in the air, or when the cat spins around, the cat has figured out, when I do this, then here's what happens. I get more food. And, you know, the theory was many years ago that cats self-control, self-limit the amount of food they eat and will never be obese. And now we know that it's clearly not true as 60% of cats in America, according to one study, are overweight or obese. So that's clearly not the case. Now, I do think there are, in fact, I know there are other reasons why cats have, quote, weight issues. Early spay neuter may actually, there's some studies that demonstrate that. Some people give table food to their cats that contribute, you know, forgetting that this is a 15 or even 20 or at some point even 25 pound animal, but still a whole lot smaller than a person. So one slice of turkey over Christmas, for example, is to a small cat is like us eating a half a turkey. So there are lots of reasons why cats and dogs do have weight issues in America. And interestingly enough, you're probably familiar with the study. I find it fascinating that, and I'm going to put this in my words now, your great-grandmother or your great-great-great-grandmother, if she were to come back today, because I presume she's not around anymore, but if she were to come back today just to look at the cats in America and the dogs, she would look and say to your clients, to pets that you say are, they look fine. They're not overweight. She would look at them and say, my gosh, they're fat, that we live in a nation filled with fat dogs and cats. Because our perceptions have even been skewed of what normal is. So oh, not veterinarians' perception so much, but, but your clients. Yeah, and it's so important. I have to put this plug in because I am a veterinarian, but obesity predisposes to some very serious health consequences and all kinds of things, diabetes, pancreatic issues, joint disease. It is important that you not love your cat to death. And that's my plug for why I recommend this, why it matters, increasing exercise and decreasing intake and making Certainly sure that the intake that you're giving, which brings us back to what Steve was asking me, is a high-quality, carnivore-suitable diet choice. I thought of something so exciting. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is, right now, 2017-2018, the 50th anniversary of the Wind Feline Foundation. Cool. So if you have a cat, if you ever treat cats as a veterinarian, everything. So if you have ever vaccinated a cat for feline immunodeficiency virus, feline leukemia. Those studies about what these diseases even were before the vaccinations came along originated with funding from the Wind Feline Foundation. You mentioned what cats eat way earlier in the conversation, that cats are obligate carnivores, and that, in fact, there wasn't enough taurine in cat food at one point. Those studies were originally done way before my time and your time, by the Win Feline Foundation. They're an organization, the only one like it on the planet, that funds cat health studies. It really is quite amazing. I will tell you something right now just between us. The worst thing that you can diagnose in a cat is probably, or a dog, I mean, dogs don't get this, but I mean, the worst diagnosis is probably something called feline infectious peritonitis because it's fatal and it happens mostly to kittens. Is that the worst news that you can give any pet owner? It's on the list. It's definitely on the list because you feel so powerless against this disease because there's not a verified treatment yet. Yet. 
So we're actually, and this is the part that's just between me and you, the Wind Feline Foundation, through funding that we've created, we've raised money to do this. Dr. Niels Peterson, a legend in veterinary medicine at the University of California, Davis, now Professor Emeritus, he told me personally, I think I could finally retire. He's well into his 70. And I said, yeah, and he, he, say, he explained the reason for it. There were two of them. One, most importantly, that he is now confident, based on what we know and what he's discovered, that there's a classification of antiviral drugs that within the next couple of years will be approved to treat FIP in CAP, which is like unheard of. Oh, but I that can't wait. That even happen. It's the most, yeah. Can't yeah. wait. It's, I mean, and FIP happens more than some of the older data suggests. Now we know better. And sadly, it's even, for whatever reason, happening even more often today. By the way, the second reason for explaining why he wants to retire, he said, my wife is making me do that. But that's the whole other point. <laughs> that's another uh, show. So, <laughs> yes. But the reason why I brought up the Wind Feline Foundation in the first place, but I just want people to understand what an amazing organization this is, what a powerful organization it is, and how influential they've been in the cat world. We can't do, I'm on the board of the Wind Feline Foundation, and we can't do anything without, and I've been on the board probably for 13 years now, I believe. We cannot do our work, which is simply to fund studies without the dollars to do it. The indoor cat feeder that I spoke of earlier, if you were to purchase this, when you do purchase it, uh, under special promotions or some such thing, you know, at the end where you finally make that purchase and it says, give me a code. You know how that happens, right? Oh, you're, yeah. you're on Amazon code. and they, they a code. Right. That's it. That's exactly what it's called. So if you write in that promo code box, cats win, spelled either W-I-N-N, like the Win Feline Foundation, or even if you write cats win, W-I-N. Either way, a portion of the proceeds does go to the Wind Feline Foundation. So oh, that's we'll awesome. be forever grateful. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So I'm glad that I was able to talk about that. But more importantly, I circling back, there have been recent studies out that show that animals, given the choice, would rather work for their food. It's a phenomenon called contra-freeloading. And this might even be news to you. So Actually, I've heard of it. Studies. It's so cool. Yeah. So zoos have done studies with a limited number of animals, black bears, meerkats, I think I'm missing a species, but they've looked at this phenomenon. And I've got this amazing video that describes it. So you have meerkats that are running all through, you know, that little critter that was in all those Disney movies. And they're running all through these little boxes to search for their food. Bowls of their food are sitting right there. They're ignoring the bowls of food. Also, this has been demonstrated in lab rats, and I've seen video of rats in laboratories ignoring the food just set out for them, preferring to run through what amounts to a, like an agility course almost for rats to get to the food. Now, that is contraindicative of everything I learned in, in biology, where the easiest and the least expensive, if you will, the least amount of energy expended to get food is what wild animals prefer to do because you live another day, it's safe, and you don't have to expend as much energy. But while it may be contrary to everything I learned, it seems to be true, at least in the animals that have been looked at so far. And if it's true for these animals, why wouldn't it be true for dogs and cats? So that's another reason that I love the idea of encouraging our cats to be cats. 
and the hunt for food indoors. So I wanted to say something else, something else that was kind of important occurred to me as we talked about obesity and weight, because I see an overwhelming number of cats who are losing weight, even though the owners are not trying to reduce their weight and they're acting hungry. So in answer to the question, why does my cat act hungry all the time? If your cat acts hungry all the time, but isn't losing weight, it might be just what we already discussed. But if your cat acts hungry all the time, but is dropping weight very dramatically or even subtly, and you don't feel like you're restricting the cat, that could be a medical issue. And it is certainly time to ask your veterinarian because hyperthyroidism is now documented yeah. to occur in, I think, almost 10% or maybe even 10 to 12% of cats. And that's a lot of cats. Yes, I, of course, you're right about that. And that brings up another topic. So, you know, I talk about things, and I have been for years about, and I passionately believe once a year veterinary visits, which we don't do enough with dogs or cats, that's not even enough. I'm a proponent of twice a year visits. And one of the reasons for that is what you described. It's hard to tell if I'm seeing my cat every day, how do I know? And even with your own personal cat, without weighing your cat, how would you know that your cat lost, say, two pounds over six months? But two pounds is significant enough for you to say as a veterinarian, my gosh, something may be going on here. Yeah, absolutely. I see a lot of patients who, like around the holidays, when I, I saw one this week, in fact, the owner said, my mother-in-law came to visit and she said Spook looked really thin to her. And so she booked an appointment with me right away. And of course, it was something that I needed to be involved in. But you do, if you see them every day, you might not notice it. So you may have house guests or family that comes over and tells you that your cat looks thin and that's time to call me or, or call your regular veterinarian. You know, you mentioned something earlier before we run out of time, and I certainly, and I know you'll be grateful that I'm bringing this up. It's called Fear Free. And it's something both you and I share a passion for. I'm curious as to why you share a passion for this. But for those who don't know, you will have to explain Fear Free. And I also then want you to talk a little bit about Fear Free Happy Homes. So that's a lot to ask you in one breath. Well, you know, this week, it happened to be a dog patient, but this week really told me that I'm on the right path and it just really made me feel good. I've got a client who has a service animal and he is a veteran who suffers from PTSD and his dog is very, very important to him. And the dog is a little bit anxious and a little bit afraid. So the first time he came to see me, the dog was showing me that she was really afraid. And so I said, you know what, we're going to stop with what we're doing, provided you know, it's okay with you. And we're going to administer some anxiety medication to your precious dog. And we're going to come back and get these blood samples and get these injections done when she feels comfortable with it. And so this week he came back and things are going so much better now. And, and the medications are making an impact. And he said to me, as I walked him to my front desk, he said, this is the reason I'm here. Because my previous veterinarian would have laid on my dog and just forced her to submit to this. And it breaks my heart. So I, it just feels right for me. I don't think you have to necessarily call it fear-free as much as you just have to recognize the fear in your patients and do something to address it and not accept it as okay anymore. Well, let's explain a bit what this is. So fear-free is an initiative that began focusing on veterinary professionals to lower fear, anxiety, and stress. A veterinary visit in the veterinary clinic in the exam room because so many pets are, as you described it, and this dog was a little bit fearful, sounds like more than a bit fearful. 
And many cats and dogs, too, I believe they think they're actually going to die. They aren't afraid. They're terrified. I agree. I think they think they're going to die. Yeah. I mean, that's for one thing on your end of it. That's not why you went to veterinary school by any means. I mean, you didn't know what you didn't know. And then from the pet owner's perspective, I mean, we see our pets and we don't necessarily consciously think that pet thinks it's going to die. Thank goodness, because veterinary visits would even be more declined from what they are. But if it's not a positive experience for the pet, the pet owner is not having a positive experience. And would you come back to a store? So if you have go to a department, big box store and you have a experience that is not a good one, you're not likely to come back. It's human nature. So people aren't as likely to come back if they perceive that their beloved pet is not at least maybe not having a good time, might be putting it a little, but at least not tolerating, just having an awful time and shaking hypersalivating, the hair is flying everywhere. If it's a dog, maybe the dog is growling. If it's a cat, maybe the cat is growling or wants to scratch and all those things. And we use terminology like it's a fractious cat, which does describe something. But these animals, the cat that I just said was fractious, is just terrified. And so terrified, the cat thinks it's going to die. So Dr. Marty Becker and a whole entourage of folks, including yourself, including myself, said, Something needs to be done about this, and that's happening now within the veterinary world. But that's not enough. And that's why I'm such a fan of fear-free, happy home, because all of this begins in our homes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you put your cat in the carrier to come and see me or to come anywhere to do anything, and the cat's yowling and howling, That's bad. That means the cat thinks that she's going to die. And we can address that. So we just need to teach pet owners. And that's what Happy Homes is all about. It starts at home. It's not just at my hospital. It's not just at any hospital or any particular place. It starts at home. And everybody wants their cat to be happy and healthy. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I'm such a huge fan of Fear Free Happy Homes. So you can become a member of Fear Free Happy Homes and get free stuff, or at least discounted stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but my favorite four-letter word is free. So you can go to fearfreehappyhomes.com. Membership is that word. It's free. And you get discounts on all these pet products. You get tips from people like you who write stories. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier about the misinformation that's out there. So this is information that is written by some of the top veterinarians in the world veterinary technicians and pet writers and dog trainers and all the rest. But these people are credible for absolute certainty. And you can learn about what's new and sort of the latest and greatest in veterinary medicine. And you could also learn more about this thing that we're calling Fear Free and find a Fear Free certified veterinarian near where you happen to live and a lot more in videos and lots of different things that are all on the site. It's fearfreehappyhomes.com. And well, I love it. And I'm a member. They do. Yeah. I registered, and and so they send newsletters that have links that you can click on, and you can learn as little or as much as you want to about making your home a better place for your pet, and and it's free. So, yeah, I I love Happy Homes. So what's interesting to me is, I mean, we have a name. I think most people love their pet. There are exceptions, I'm sure, but most people, I think, love their pet. And economics has nothing to do with that. I mean, they may be billionaires many times over, and they may live on the streets. I think people love their pets, but they don't always know. I don't want to say this without suggesting 
they don't always know what's best, but I don't want to say that in a condescending way, like I know better than somebody else. But I think that we're looking at that, you know, the veterinary profession, for example. I think we're looking at things differently than we did 15 years ago. So you mentioned enrichment. I talked about the way we feed cats, and I mentioned enrichment. I don't think this was even a term that was spoken about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think we're just looking at the way in which we live with our companion animals in a completely different way today. I agree. Well, you know what, Steve? We're out of time, and I enjoy talking to you so much. I hope that you will be able to come back and talk about more fun cat things. And just I just have fun visiting with you. Oh, but I was supposed to ask you more questions. I wanted to ask you who your first kiss was with. Uh, Yeah, okay, so that's another talk show, too. We did have a lot of things that I kind of wanted to get to, so so we're definitely going to have to revisit the pet owner questions (laughs) topic for sure. Thank you, guys. Pet owner questions. Pet owner questions. questions. They're endless, right? I didn't know. (laughs) I didn't know they were pet owner questions. I thought they were my questions. I had no idea. Uh, Dr. Sue, you're wonderful, and... (laughs) And what you do for companion animals is really very, very important because you help to communicate all these sorts of messages to your colleague that we spoke about today. So I'm grateful to know you and you are an expert communicator. Well, thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure and my passion to do what I do. So I think I'm just really lucky to get to do it. And I also want to thank all of our listeners today and certainly our producer, Mark Winter. And thanks for joining us on Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I hope you all have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.